Welcome to One Church. Um, today we're wrapping up our series entitled Confessions of a Pastor. And I hope you guys have enjoyed it. It's been therapeutic for me. Normally I would go to somebody and talk to somebody. They'd charge me $85 an hour. And, you know, I ain't got to do that here. So that's awesome. Uh, before we jump into it, I want to talk about next week. Because next week we're doing something that, to my knowledge, has never, ever been done in Clarksville before. We are, for the next three weeks, we're entitled, uh, we're doing this series, uh, Some Questions Can't Be Answered by Google, in which that I am going to be up here with not having a prepared sermon. Um, I'm going to just be up here, um, and you guys are going to set the tone. You guys are going to uh, call in. You're going to text in and do questions. In fact, we're just going to see how it works because at the end of today's sermon, I'm going to invite you guys to be able to text in your questions concerning the sermon topic that we're talking about today. And to my knowledge, and uh, which is very little, uh, I'm going to be able to answer, uh, God willing, some of those questions for you today. But next Sunday, we're starting the series about Google. And I would encourage you guys that this would be a great series to invite some friends that maybe have some walls up about Christianity, um, maybe have some questions about their faith. One of the things that we really believe here at One Church is that faith is a dialogue. Uh, we believe God's Word is true, and this doesn't change, but we need to sit down and we need to be able to hear both sides, and we need to dialogue about truth. You know, um, one of the uh, verses in the Bible, when right before Jesus is crucified, Pilate asks him a question, and he says, what is truth? And uh, we want to be able to look at God's true word that never changes and talk about it in your situation. So and because of that, I don't know what questions you guys are going to ask. So because of that, the next three to four weeks worth of sermon series is going to be PG-13. We would encourage you that if you have children in here, um, if, uh, to be able to let them go to one-way street, uh, we provide environments for our children, babies through fifth grade. So um, we're going to be talking about, we might be talking about some very down-to-earth questions and, uh, and about what the Bible has to say about those. So please, uh, if, if you, even if you have middle schoolers and you say, I don't really feel comfortable with them being in here, I would encourage you to uh, take your middle schoolers to the check-in table for children's registration and Ashley will be able to allow them to serve. So just that you're warned. Does everybody understand that? So the questions you ask are the questions I'm going to be answering, and I can't control that. So there you go. All right. So um, today, if, if the, text your Google. Here's what I want you to do. I want, you got to go 24625. That's the number you're going to put in. And then you need to put Google followed by your question. So at the end of the service today, we're going to do some interaction about this. So and this is going to be up on the screen kind of during my sermon uh, on and off. Today, last confession I have for you guys. My confession is this, is I struggle with the same sin over and over and over. That I struggle with sin. And some of you are going, get over yourself, you do too. All right? Because all of us struggle with the stuff in our lives. Now, that may surprise some of you because some of you, depending upon your denomination or whatever, you know, your background, you think, you know, well, to be a pastor, to be, you know, a person of the cloth, whatever that means, to be a priest or to be, you know, on church staff, that automatically you don't struggle with certain things. And I would say that nothing could be farther from the truth because I live in the same world that you live in. 
Uh, I have the same stimuli that you have. Uh, I watch the same television that you watch. And uh, I have the same selfish desires that you have. And um, I will tell you, there's been sins in my life that, you know, I've gotten better at because I've gotten better at sinning. But I've also gotten better at of stop sinning. But I still struggle. And I'm still tempted. I'm still struggling with, with stuff. And some of you think, well, that doesn't seem right. You're a pastor. And you, some of you, your view may be, you know, okay, I'm on the junior varsity, but to be a pastor, you've got to be an All-American, right? And uh, I may not be good at this stuff, but you should be perfect at it. And I am not perfect at living the Christian life. Some of you think, you know what, well, once you become a Christian, it may, and maybe you've been out of church for a long time, maybe you've never been to church, and your idea of Christian is this, I couldn't be a Christian because I am not that good. And I hope you hear me say that none of us are that good, all right? And, uh, in fact, I remember this one lady, uh, she started coming to one church, and her uh, issue was this. She says, I want to become a Christian, but I know myself too well, and I know that I am going to continue sinning if I, after I begin this relationship with Jesus. And I said, yeah, you're right. You will. And I do. And we all continue to struggle with sin. The, the book of the Bible we're going to look at today is a, really a book of the Bible that I really don't like preaching from. I believe it's inerrant. I believe it's God-inspired. The reason why I don't like it is because I struggle with this book. Um, this book of the Bible we're going to look at, it says that we have been set free from sin. That we are to have victory over sin. Um, that sin shouldn't control us. And the reason why I struggle with it is so many times I don't feel like I have victory over my sin. I feel like I'm still in bondage sometimes, and I feel like I just I struggle with the same sin over and over again. It's the book of the Bible called Romans. And uh, Paul wrote this book. Uh, it talks about sin more than any other book of the Bible. That's kind of amazing. Now, Paul wrote it to Christians who lived in Rome. That's exactly right. The Bible really does make sense. All right, welcome to One Church. Uh, page uh, 862 of the One Church Bible. We give away Bibles for free here at One Church because we want everybody to have an easy-to-read translation of the Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7. And we're going to look at how Paul dealt with sin because as we're going to look in this passage, this is kind of what Paul is talking about himself. It's just a moment of honesty. This is his confession. It's his confession of a pastor. And this is Paul talking. He says, The trouble with me, being Paul, the trouble with me is I am all too human. And I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm really not the one who is doing it that is wrong. It is the sin living in me that's doing it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my, and what's that next word? Mind. We're going to really camp out on that today. 
the power, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Anybody ever feel like that with Paul? It's just too big. It's too much. It's too impossible. I can't get over this addiction. I can't get over this bad habit. I can't go over this. Anybody ever feel like that? Okay. Those who didn't raise your hands, you're in the worst bad at all. You're in denial, right? Because all of us struggle with stuff. All of us do. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to struggle with stuff. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Your idea, I'm going to give you some points here, but the best thing and the thing that you need more than anything is you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, once you have that relationship, though, magically it doesn't all go away and it doesn't get any better sometimes. It naturally, hopefully it gets better, but it doesn't happen overnight. Listen to me on this one. God is not content to clean up your life a little bit. God is not content to clean up your life a little bit. Let me tell you what God wants for you. God wants to eradicate everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says that we should be growing in every way more and more like Christ. You want to know what God's will is? Some of you are thinking, I want to know what God's will is. That may be one of your questions, your text questions for next week. What's God's will? Right? I mean, you think, should I take the job? Uh, should I transfer to a different unit? Should I, should, you know, should we, uh, you know, what should be, what, where should I, you know, go? Who should I marry? Uh, what house should I purchase? All of these things. Let me tell you what God wants for your life. God wants you to be every day more and more like Jesus Christ. Every day, He wants you looking a little bit more like Jesus Christ. And God will continue to work in your life, continue to take His spotlight and to clean out the dust bunnies in your life and the, and the mess that you got jacked up that you put in the closet that nobody else can see but Jesus can see. He wants to be able to clean all of that out so that at the end of your life, you look more like Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. And that's our big idea today. Our big idea is this, that Jesus saves us all at once. Jesus saves you all at once. But look at this. He changes you a little bit at a time. He changes you little by little. He saves you at once. You are saved in a moment. When you begin your relationship with Jesus, a lot of things happen to you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But a lot of things that he puts your Holy, the Holy Spirit living inside of you immediately. That happens immediately. But we are changed day by day, little by little, moment by moment. And let me tell you, the issue is this. Every sin, some of you think, well, I want to get rid of all of the sin in my life today. And let me tell you, uh, there will come a time in your life where you will have victory over sin and you won't have any worry about sin or bad habits or addictions. You know when that day is? That you're finally going to be totally over with sin? When you're dead. Seriously, when you're in heaven. But until that time, you and I are going to struggle. You and I are going to struggle and it's going to be an uphill battle. An uphill battle. And it, this kind of bothers me because think about this, y'all. If God is holy, perfect, mighty... He's able to do anything he wants to. Why didn't, once I become a Christian, he take all of this junk out of my life? Why didn't he take the desire for me to want to do wrong? Why didn't he remove all of those temptations out of my life? Why, did he, why didn't he just, just change me immediately? I mean, he saves me, but I'm changed day by day, little by little. Why, did he do, why doesn't he do that? 
I mean, some of you, you know, you grew up with, you know, with a, some type of addiction. And once you come to, into that relationship with Jesus, some of you, he immediately took that desire away. Immediately. But for most of you, he didn't. And you're struggling with the same addiction you did before you began in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Why didn't he just remember? And, and for you, because you still have that desire, you get up and immediately, man, you got to hit your knees. You got to pray and you got to read your Bible and you're having to trust in him because he hasn't removed. Why doesn't he remove it? And I think I just answered my question. Why would God remove something from our lives that drives us straight into his arms? He wants to be close and intimate with you. So many times he doesn't take those temptations away. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says. It says this, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, though, He's going to show you a way out so that you can endure. The Bible says that God tempts no one. So if God doesn't tempt us, who tempts us? Well, Satan... Could it be Satan, right? And to be honest with you, ourselves. You know, a lot of denominations put a whole lot of stock in, you know, Satan's everywhere and Satan's under every rock. And, and I totally believe in a real hell and a real devil. But i got to be honest with you, most of my problem, I don't really think it stems from Satan. It stems from me. Because I can really mess up my life enough without Satan's help. I don't know. Anybody else feel like that? I mean, I can totally do that because I messed up. All right? So, um... I really feel like, though, a lot of times Satan kind of changes the rules. He changes the rules. He says this when we're tempted to do wrong. He says, hey, you know, go ahead and do it. Go ahead. It's not that big of a deal. No one will ever know. Just go ahead and do it. No big deal. And then you do it, and he changes the rules, and he says, oh, that was terrible. No one could ever love you. God could never, ever forgive you. You just need to run from God. And I'm telling you, and wherever you're at on this situation, when you sin, if your propensity is to run from God, you've got to change that. Because that's when you and I need God the most. God doesn't immediately change us overnight. We are saved in a moment, but little by little, day by day, sermon by sermon, small group by small group, a, a, a small act of service by small act of service. Day by day, reading your Bible, prayer after prayer, verse by verse, we are changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul closes this, this whole thing, the whole conflict he has. In 724, he says, oh, what a miserable person that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer. Now, who's the answer? The answer, who do we need, is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my, what's that next word? Mind. We're going to hit that. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but in, in my sinful nature, I'm just a slave to it. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, if I remember right, 13 books he wrote in here. He wrote, all, he, I mean, he is a super Christian. If anybody should have a cape, it should have been Paul. And he's going to things I want to do, I don't want to do, but the things I don't want to do, I do. And he's just all jacked up. Paul, this dude right here, is struggling. And if you're struggling, 
you're in good company. Because Paul struggled. And I struggle. And we all struggle with sin. The rest of the the morning today, I want to give you four things that's going to help you find victory over sin. Now, it's going to help you, but you're still going to struggle. All right? But these should give you some handholds. I'm going to say all four of them. I want you to repeat it. And then we're going to dive in and dig a little bit deeper. First thing you need to do is you need to hate it. Everybody say hate it. Starve it. Outsmart it. Question it. All right, let's see if you can remember that. Oh, they're on the screen. All right, see if you can remember. Hate it. Starve it. Outsmart it. Question it. All right, let's look at the first one. Hate it. Verse uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Hate what is evil. And cling to what is good. To really, if you want to change, if you want to find victory over this mess in your life, you got to start hating your sin. You can't be winking at it, and you can't be going, oh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. No, it is a, it's just a white lie. No, it's a lie. It's just, you know, I just allocated some funds. No, you stole. You have to start hating it. And the problem is, we don't hate our sin. We hate it on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday, we get all buddy-buddied up next to it. And then Sunday, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> all right? And then, and then Monday through Saturday, what's up? You know? All right? So you got to hate it. But many of us have gotten used to our own filth. How many of y'all ever gotten really sweaty, nasty, dirty, dingy, nasty? Anybody? All right, you may have been working in a garden, all right? You're sweating. There's mud all over you, all right? You're wiping it off, all right? There, it may be um, you, you just went running. Maybe you went to, you, you know, you're in high school and you just, you're on the track team and you just got get finished running five miles. Maybe you just got finished with PT and you stinky. I mean, you nasty, right? You're going, Right? Nasty. All right. Now, let me tell you, when you get filthy, what are you supposed to do? Take a shower. That's exactly right. But see, sometimes we don't, we can't take a shower immediately. Maybe we're still in the field or whatever. And you know, after a while, what used to bother your orifactory glands, all right, right here, I don't, I don't smell myself anymore. Really? I, I'm really not, I must not be that bad. Now you get around other people and they're going to get slain in the spirit. You know what I mean? They're going to pass out, right? But you can't smell your own filth anymore. And that's how it is with sin. You just get used to it. You get used to the stench. You get used to the nastiness. And when people who aren't around you day by day, they get around you, they go, mm. Man, your mouth. Bad. Your outlook on life, it's really negative. You know, why do you continue to run to that thing? I mean, that's just nasty. But see, you're used to it. It's like going over to a friend's house. I go over to friends' houses, and their house would smell like rotten cabbage, but they wouldn't smell it. You know what I'm talking about? And I go in there and I'd be going, I got to sleep here tonight, right? But they're used to it. See, we, some of us, have gotten used to our sin. We've gotten used to it, and we've got to hate it. I want to reread this verse in Romans 12, 9, out of a different version. 
Because it says, hate what is evil. This is what it says. Run for dear life from evil. You want to know how you hate evil? You run from it. The biblical word for that is repentance. It's where you're going one way, you stop, you turn around, and you start going a different way. All right? That is repentance. It's running from what is evil. It is stop doing it. So you've got to hate it. Everybody say hate it. Next thing is you've got to do what? Starve it. Very good. This is what Romans 6, 1 and 2. I'm going to say this. Romans 6, 1 and 2. And it says this. Well, then, should I keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. All right. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? How can we continue to live in it? Now, Paul says in Romans 6, 2, don't live in your sin. Don't hang around it. Don't feed it. Don't live in your sin. It kind of reminds me of a story of um, the old Cherokee wise grandfather. And he's hanging out with his son around the campfire one night. And the, the old grandfather, this wise man, tells his grandson, there is two wolves inside of me fighting. Always at war with one another. Not just in me, it's in you as well and it's in everyone. One wolf is bad and evil, and the other wolf is good. The evil wolf, this terrible wolf, it's just lust and greed and envy and pride and arrogance and anger. And that evil wolf is always warring and fighting with this good wolf of love and peace and gentleness. And he's nice and he's, he's faithful. And these two wolves are fighting one another. And the grandson said, well, which one is going to win, granddad? And which your grandfather responded, whichever one you feed. So you've got to starve it. You've got to cut it off. You've got to unplug it at the source. You want to know, guys, how to beat your pornography problem? Here's what you do. You go and you find some accountability software like triplexchurch.com and you go on there so that every month a list of sites that you have looked at goes to someone else and they can ask you questions about it. I got a guy and I in, in this church that that's what we do. You want to, parents, you want to know how to keep your kids pure and they got a, 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 a computer that's hooked up to the Internet? You got to get it out of the room. I've got to be honest with you, that's not smart. You put their computer in a public place. You put it on the kitchen table. You put it on the den. You put it on the living room. Well, it, it won't look good with my decor. Get a grip. Your, your main thrust in life is not to have a, a, a house that has a good decor. It's to raise your children in a godly fashion. And I'm telling you, it's too rough. It's too strong. Sin is too nasty for you to just... Put your blinders on and say, then you know what? They can be adults. They're not. And you're an adult and you still struggle with it. So you've got to do something. You've got to starve it. All right? If you like Krispy Kreme like me, if you like some donuts, you don't go into a Krispy Kreme shop. Right? If you struggle with being drunk and you're an alcoholic, you don't go to bars. If you, whatever you struggle with, you have to starve it. You have to starve it. You hate it, you starve it, and then the next one is what? 
outsmart it. Very good. Now, when you outsmart something, what part of the body are you using? Your mind, your brain. This is so key because sin, in so many ways, starts and stops right up here. It's a mind thing. In fact, look at what Romans 8, 6 says. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. How do you let the Spirit control your mind? Oh, look at this. It says in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Now, how does he do that? How does he transform you into a new person? Look at this. By the changing the way you think, by the renewing of your mind. You've got to change the way you think. You see, you want your life little by little, day by day, to become more like Jesus Christ, then you've got to hate it, you've got to starve it, and then you've got to outsmart it by getting into this book right here. See, it's, it's not just good enough to say, okay, I'm not going to do the bad things. Because we've got some messed up stuff in us. It's called sin. We have a sin nature that when we have a propensity to do right, if we, if we have a choice to do right or wrong, Paul says we always choose wrong. But Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You see, if we have a choice between doing right or wrong, we will always choose wrong. If, unless, we get this word and we put it in our minds. We have to spend time reading it day by day by day. And yes, I know how goofy I look right now. All right? We have to read it. You have to get into it. Outsmarting it means you're in this book. In fact, Psalm 119.11 says this. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. You want to know how to not sin? You've got to hide this word in your heart. This is how you get over it. So you hate it. You starve it. And what's the next one? Question it. That's exactly right. Question it. Because here's the thing. We need people in our lives to ask us questions. Hey, what are you looking at? Who are you, who are you going out to eat with lately? Are you going out to eat alone with her? What are, you, uh, what are you buying right now? What purchases are you making? Because all of us can rationalize stuff. We all have a tendency to, to deceive ourselves. we got to get around some people that can ask you some tough questions. And let me tell you where that's at. It's not in this group right here. That's the whole point of community groups. We believe here at One Church that life change takes place best in small groups. Life change takes place best in small groups because we give them an opportunity to ask you, Hey, what have you been doing lately? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching? You say you struggle with this thing, but yet it seems like you're feeding it instead of starving it. What are you doing? It's accountability. Romans chapter 15 verse 14 says this, And concerning you, you need to admonish one another. That word admonish means to teach, to instruct, to ask questions of. Hate it. Starve it. Outsmart it and question it. Before I read the next verse, we're at the end of our sermon. I'm going to encourage you, if you have any questions, if you want to do some interaction this morning, take out your phones and go ahead and text your question. Google your question and then 24625 so that we can be able to get that in just a second. Let me say this. 
If you're a Christian here, if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you will always continue to struggle with sin. Hopefully you're going to, get, uh, you're going to sin less. And you're going to have victory over some sins, but there's just some that are always going to be kicking the slats out of your life. Because that keeps us humble, I think, and because we run to Jesus. But let me tell you, I would encourage you, and this is the reason why I want to close with this question. Romans 8, verse 1, says this. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. If you belong to Jesus, are you condemned? No. Now, you may want to condemn yourself. You may want to beat up yourself. You may want to do that. But you are not condemned. Jesus doesn't condemn you. God doesn't condemn you because this is important. When He looks at you, He sees Jesus Christ. All right? While you're getting these transfer and getting the questions, I want to kind of give you something that I was laying in bed last night because I, I just I struggle with this. I believe this. But practically, my life just doesn't sometimes fit up. Uh, it doesn't match up with Romans, and it's frustrating. Think of it this way. Let's say you have a, a person who is an alcoholic, um, and this person drinks to get drunk, and, he, and this, the, the liquor, the alcohol is controlling him. And on many different occasions, this person, um, this person is just, uh, he starts drinking and driving. And, you know, this is on his third strike. He's been pulled over. He's in jail. He's in front of the judge. And this dude said, how do you plead? And he pleads, I'm guilty. And the judge says, okay. But because of a merciful act of the judge, the judge says, even though you say you're guilty, I'm pronouncing you not guilty. So this person is off the hook. Now let me ask you this. Did did this person do the wrong thing? Did this person drink and drive? Yes. But the judge, because the judge pronounced him not guilty, is he guilty? The answer is no. He's not guilty. But let me ask you this, even though he's not, and see, that's where we are. When we get saved positionally, we, we are not guilty because all of our messed up, jacked up mass sin gets put on Jesus and Jesus's right way of living gets placed upon us so that we positionally, we are, the biblical word is justified, that we are in right standing. We are not guilty. Now, here's the thing, though. Is that person still an alcoholic? Yes. So the judge says, here's what I want you to do. I'm, I'm going to put you in a program. We're going to send you away for four months. We're going to get some people around you to help you beat this. And, and you go for four months and you get, you get the alcohol out of your system. You go to group. You do all of these things to help you with your addiction. Now you're better, right? You're no longer drinking. But are you still an alcoholic? Yes, you are. Will you st- always struggle with wanting that drink? Yes, you will. But day after day, little by little bit, because of the people you've chosen to hang out with, because of group, because of AA, whatever, because of these things, you are slowly but surely kicking it. And that is how we are with sin. We will always be addicted to sin. Always. But day by day, 
little bit by little bit, by the people we're around, by what we read, by what we experience, about what we listen to. We start, we're made into the image of Jesus. All right, question. Is it appropriate for your spouse to be your accountability partner? All right, great question. Um, uh, I would say this. Uh, I would encourage you to, if you're a guy, to find a guy accountability partner. And if you're a lady, to find a lady accountability partner. Uh, and the reason why is this is because guys struggle with things that sometimes ladies don't understand. And um, they take offense to, and they should. But you got to find a guy that you're able to be honest and open with. Because accountability only works unless you're honest, right? I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come out. We're going to keep on asking some questions. Any other questions that we received? Which is fun. Anyone else? Bueller. Bueller. Come on out, band. Josh. Right. If I am saved, can I just continue to sin since I'm forgiven? I'm going to say this. If I am saved, can I just continue to sin? The answer is yes, you can. In fact, this is a. I'm, I'm going to read to you what Romans chapter six says. This is really, really good. It says this. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? But Paul says, of course not. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that we were joined with Christ in baptism and we are joined in his death? Now, see, the answer, this is a great question because a lot of people say, well, since I'm sinned and I can't lose my salvation, then I'm just going to go out and have fun and have a good time. And, hey, it's no big deal, right? And the answer is this. You see, we become, we enter into a relationship with God not because of really even what we do, but what Christ has done for us. Because we're not good. We're not perfect. We never will be. So when we sin after we're a Christian, it doesn't. We don't lose our salvation. It, 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 but what we do, what what sin does, is it breaks relationship. It breaks fellowship. Let me give you an, an example about this. Let's say your teenager comes home, and they just uh, they, you told them to be home at eleven. They're home at one, and uh, they have you know, dinged up your vehicle. Um, are they still your child? Some of you going, uh-uh. <laughs> yes, they are still your child. Now, are, do you have those warm, lovey-dovey feelings to them right now? Nope. You don't. You want to kill them, right? Because sin has come into that relationship, and sin always, it, it always brings a space in relationship. Same way with your spouse. You know, you can continue to, to do the same things over and over again and maybe take your spouse for granted, and you still have that relationship, but that intimacy isn't there. Let's go to one last question. How do you know when God is talking to you? Wow. Hmm. Let me say this. Um, I've never heard God's audible voice. Never have. Uh, people who have kind of freaked me out a little bit, to be going honest with you. Um, do, do I believe that God can speak that way? You betcha, totally. God can do whatever he wants to because he's God. Let me tell you how I think you hear God's voice. It is through this book. It is through reading this book, and then after you read, you're praying, and you're saying, God, show me. Show me which way to go. 
So that is how I hear God's voice. i tell you another thing is I get around people and I say, I think God is telling me this. What do you think? And these are people I respect, people who are spiritual. But let me say this. God will never, ever tell you to do something that his word tells you not to do. Some of you, I feel like God's telling me to get a divorce. Really? Okay. What making you? I'm not happy. Really? Okay. And I don't think God wants me to be happy. God doesn't want me to be sad or miserable. So I think God's want me to get a divorce. And I will tell you, and you're welcome, we can talk about this next week, but um, what you think God is telling you has to line up with this book. And if he's saying, well, I think he's telling me to get a divorce because I'm not happy, I'm telling you that's not God telling you to do that. Because God's word says, it says this about, he says, I hate divorce. But he also gives quality, you know, if, if this happens or if this happens, you know, divorce is, is allowed, but it's never God's plan for a couple to get divorced. This is fun. I want to do one more. <laughs> Can we do one more? Oh my gosh, this is, sorry. All right, last question. Okay, all right. Explain the difference between the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit convicting, is that right? Hi. Okay, okay, okay. This is a great, great question. Oh, this is great. Explain the difference between the Holy Spirit convicting and Satan condemning. This is something. Um, God always, when he convicts us of sin, it always leads us to him. It always leads us to him. The reason why the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin is so that we will run to God. Condemnation doesn't make us want to run to God. It makes us want to run from God. Because Satan says, no, he could never love you. You you did what? He could never forgive you. He could never ever. You're going to church after you've done that yesterday? You're such a hypocrite. See, that's Satan. Holy Spirit saying, you know what? What you did was wrong. And it grieved me and it made me sad and it makes God sad. Come back to me. Come into my arms. Come back and run to me. That's the difference. One, condemnation makes you want to run from God and conviction makes you want to run to God. Cool. Let's pray. And uh, thank you so much, guys. This is going to be fun next week, is it not? (laughs) Can't wait. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you so much, Lord. And I thank you so much for your word. Your word is living. It is active. It is vibrant. God, and I just, I praise you so much, Lord, that, that we can see people like Paul who struggled with their sin over and over and over and over. And Lord, I am there. And I've done that. Lord, I've seen victories in my life, but I've also seen defeat. So, Lord, I pray for those right now. Lord, I pray for those Christ followers who are sitting in their seat and they just, they feel condemned. But your word says in Romans 8, 1, that you don't condemn anyone who's in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would run to you, not run from you. 
But Lord, I also know that we have some people in here who they don't have that relationship with you. And unfortunately, they are condemned. Those without Jesus Christ are condemned and will spend eternity apart from you. And Lord, I pray for those those who long to have that relationship with you, that they would be able to ask you, Jesus Christ, to come into my life, to forgive me, change me from the inside out, forgive me of all of my sin, all of my sin. And Lord, I'm going to start living for you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.